Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from the palatial parking lot of Revel Fulton Market is Chris Armisen. Chris, how are you? Arneson. Yeah. I'm sorry, Chris Arneson. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's, yeah, it's an N. It's an N, not an M. It's fine. It's, uh, it's a weird name. Apparently, there's another Arneson here, actually. When I checked in, they were like, Joshua Arneson? And I was like, no, it's uh, Chris. And they're like, oh, there's a Joshua Arneson that's supposed to be here today, too. And I was like, I've never met another Arneson that wasn't in my family, so... See, now I feel like I would have edited out the my misspeak, but now we got, like, the context and the story yeah. behind it, and then it should stay. Totally stay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, it's a weird name. I, people call me Anderson for, like, for most of my, most uh, things, like, my whole life, pretty much. Like, Chris Anderson. It's like, there's no D in that name, man. Come on. If you felt like you had to be known as Anderson, how would you spell your name? Um, my, my, the last name? Uh, A-N-D... E-R-S-O-N. Okay, yeah. so just like the orthodox yeah. spelling, not like the E-N spelling. Oh, is there an E-N? Oh, yeah, I guess there is, yeah. I was looking up, like, uh, I was looking all that stuff up. Yeah, I guess it is, like, that or with an I or whatever, which I think is weird. I think it's like a coming to America thing is they, they changed it. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not a cartographer of names, so. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. Uh, so, Chris, you know, we've both been here uh, sampling all the different games. Uh, I've talked to some of the developers, which will be uh, featuring later on in the podcast, the interviews I had with them. But right now, I just wanted to talk about, we'll go back and forth. We each got five games that we demoed that really stood out to us. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, go one by one and talk them through. All right? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Sounds great. Like the, this is the this is the the greatest part of, of video games. Like people that like come together and make quirky, weird games, and they're just adorable and fun. I love it. I think yeah, you find here more than anywhere else I've been the entrepreneurial spirit of like making something new, but it's also divorced from the idea of making money off it, which is also pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like there's there are. There are games here every year that have a custom controller uh, with like 30 buttons on it or like a, a toggle light stick thing made out of uh, the little thing that doors hit, the little door stoppers, whatever. And just like the weirdest thing is that like this is not marketable. There's no Kickstarter for this. There's no Indiegogo for this. You only play a lot of these games here and you'll never see a port of it really on anything on like i mean some of these games will never hit steam you know or they'll never hit uh any of the consoles or anything which is crazy that you can only play them here so well then let's kick right off with one of the games i saw that you will never see outside of a festival like this it's called victor the loser uh now victor the loser is a fairly simple quiz game uh you've got this kind of unorthodox controller where there are a bunch of buttons laid out for you and then you get uh questions and answers on a computer screen but the catch is that the AI does not have... Uh, the AI may not take it too well if you uh, are doing well at the game. Yeah. And so uh, and you start getting a few answers right in a row, it'll start throwing snarky comments at you and then, like, shaking the screen around and messing with the answers you can give. It's like changing the, it was changing the uh, font colors and making it harder to read. Um, it has a little, like, finger that comes out of each button to, try, to give you 
the wrong answer every now and again um, while you're trying to figure out some of them. Some of them are like math problems and stuff, and uh, or they're like you know geography problems or just like there was one that I did not understand that was like uh, a bunch of shapes. And then, like I, it just the all the answers were di other shapes that were in different directions. I saw someone get the right answer on it. That's the only reason I got it right. Um, Victor did not like that. So, <laughs> I mean, at the end, yeah, Victor gives you like a kind of snotty analysis of how well you did. Yeah. If you do okay, it's like, well, you did all right for a human. <laughs> yeah, like you're you're garbage in the end. Uh, I'm the robot, and I'm the better competitor, sort of thing. It was really awesome. Uh, I mean, like, and yeah, that's a game you'll never play anywhere else. Like, cause it has it's it has a like eight prompt button controller thing with like, I don't know how to describe it other than like those like those banks when I you'd have as a kid maybe where you put the coin in and then a hand comes out and grabs it. Like, there's a little like claw that comes out to hit the buttons every now and again and, and like try to compete against you. Like, you're is, you're not competing against the robot. It just doesn't like that you're winning. Which is hilarious. Like it's it's amazing. It's such a cool idea. Uh, so what's uh, one game that you saw that stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I saw uh, a couple. Um, I really liked Joggernauts, which is actually like when I got here, they made me. They, they had everyone take. Uh, There's an option to make you take it, but it was like a quiz essentially that uh, um, asked people to like kind of like this is a uh, first day of camp, you know. Um, is this a theme for this this year? And like, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it makes yeah. sense. It's summer, so summer camp yeah. naturally. And like, it basically put me into a, a a team. I got Fox, and so it was like, play these five games and come back. And we'll put a sticker for your team once you play them. I played Joggernauts because of that. I don't know if I would have played it without that. Which, so it's a cool concept. Um, but they had its own custom uh, game board, like controller board for it. There's three buttons, uh, two little ones and a big one in the middle, and um, there's a button for jump, a button for ducking, which I never needed to seem to use that feature. We were pretty early in the game. And then a big one for switching your color to the front of the line, essentially. So it was kind of like yeah, bit trip runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like multiplayer and color-based sort of thing, where the, the leader in the front had open gates for everyone, so it had to be color-coordinated. Um, and then like if you when you press it, whatever part of the line you're in, it's four players, uh, you'll switch from there to th that you'll switch the, the person in the front so it kind of it can kind of mess up the jumping and people can like get messed so you have to like really time everything and like really coordinate uh like very quickly with everybody and it was a lot of fun i was really surprised by it and it was really like fleshed out the art was really there and the mechanics were all there and it felt it felt like a really fully fleshed game it was awesome yeah like there was the first level of okay i need to make sure that i switch to the front when my gate is coming and then later on, you're like, oh, yeah, I could potentially bone the person that I'm swapping with if I just, like, leave them in midair or give them not enough time to make their jump. Yeah. So I have to, like, make sure I know where I am and it's a safe spot and then I can switch. So there was a, lot, a couple different layers to it, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and then, like, it, I saw other people playing it later, and they, were, they would, like, kind of just went forward to some other levels. Um, and they had a lot more, like, of that mechanic, like, split into, like, things. Like, they had, like, you know, you jump on a different grids of the map, essentially, because it was, like, a 2D platformer. Um, so then if you, like, went into certain areas without your team, like, you'd either be boned or you wouldn't be sort of thing. Um, and it was, I, I mean, I, I watched a team of four sit there for, like, 15 minutes or so while I was in line for their game. And uh, 
they kept trying until they beat it, and there was just this thunderous applause, like on the, all, all of a sudden on that side of the uh, festival, and it was awesome. It was really cool to see. Okay, uh, well, something else that I was uh, happy to see was this uh, another collaborative game, multiplayer game called Block Party. Yeah. Yeah, and so Block Party, uh, you would play with your phone in a browser, which I, I'm glad there are more games besides Jackbox doing that. I think that's a really good idea for more people to take that on if they can. It's a great, uh, that's always like a great party game, I feel like. All those Jackbox games are like an immediate party favorite with all my friends which is i think amazing you know because i have friends that like don't really play games too often like sometimes they'll kind of dip their toes in but they'll like come over now and be like let's play that one game that that jackbox game or whatever and yeah i think it's a great opportunity for people to like explore things where you don't need four controllers whatever you just need your phone or a tablet or something i think it's a testament to jackbox's strength that they're featuring Jackbox Party Pack 3, which came out almost a year ago now, yeah. here at BitBash, and people are still lining up to play it because it's just like they're that into playing those games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's they are it's, they're a lot of fun to play. I actually didn't play Block Party, but uh, I think I didn't. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't. It's been hard to, like, keep track of all the games since there's, like, 30, 40, 50 games here, um, and... It's like, remember that name, remember that name. I need a checklist or something. Well, it was only available very early on. Like, it was there at, like, 3 p.m. to 4 or something oh, on, really? like, the big screen for yeah. what. And then uh, the idea was they put shapes at the bottom of this level for you. And then you were, there, like, four or five, six people would be given different Tetris-style blocks that they could rotate or move around to fill in the shapes. But you needed more than one block to fill the gaps and you needed certain kinds of blocks too to fill the gaps you had to coordinate with the other people to make sure the right blocks got in the right spots and you weren't impeding any other other person's progress yeah and uh, you had to work together with these strangers to try and figure that stuff out sounds like a uh, uh, snipper cliffs if you played that at all on the switch um it's like where you have you're all these different shapes and you can kind of use your shape to rotate and cut your friend's shapes around to try to build these puzzles up or solve these puzzles together yeah yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah it's uh i'd say it's like a little faster and more uh like anarchic than uh snipper cliffs there's a lot more of this like oh everything's got messed up now <laughs> yeah. uh the thing like because in tetris naturally even when you're playing by yourself you still like uh, i was one block off and here you got time six that kind of chaos and confusion yeah no it's um it is i man i wish i would have seen that game actually because that sounds amazing I'm going to have to look that one up, honestly. Uh, I, I got here a little later than that, and I'm really bummed now that I missed it. I was able to play um, Ape Out, um, which was a lot like Hotline, or, um, yeah, Hotline Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where you play as a gorilla, um, and you're just like running through the map and just slamming people into walls, and um, just like... It's, I kept dying over and over again. I wasn't sure why, and then I realized later that I... Or while I was playing that I was slamming this guy with a like a basically a propane tank on his back so I would slam into a wall near me and I would kill myself. <laughs> um, but I watched my friend play it and he got like really deep into it and like uh, eventually he died and like it shows you the map of like where you went and like where exactly where you traveled um, and it was I mean it was really challenging and really fun and like you and, like it was like a 2D game but you felt really powerful as like you're a gorilla. Um and I was like, this is a game I would definitely buy. 
like because it was uh, it reminded it reminded me of that uh, the Hotline Miami series a lot just because like but it was like top down bust into rooms guys are walking around with weapons and you have to like solve it as like a weapon puzzle essentially and uh, it was a lot of fun I loved it yeah like you were fragile but you still felt like you had some power that you could like mess up these guys pretty bad which felt cool I think. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like not one shot and you're dead. Like you get a couple and you start bleeding and you're leaving like a trail of blood everywhere. Uh, it was really neat. I um, I didn't even realize it was here. It was on one of my friend's uh, puzzles for his for his camp, and uh, we ended up playing it and had a lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah, I don't know that I got to many of the games on my list. That was Team Chameleon. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, I I was like I think this is a cool meta game. That they got going on here, but I did not uh, go off their list. I think Team Chameleon won. I'm pretty sure they won. Yeah, go Team Chameleon. Chameleon for life. Oh, man, I was Fox, so I don't know. Well, now we're enemies. The natural enemies of Fox and Chameleon, just like in that Disney film. Oh, yeah, I, I remember the Fox and Chameleon. That was a good movie. I think they're going to remake that one next after Aladdin. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> uh, for me, though, the games that I did try, I tried uh, Risky Phone. Yeah. That was really good. That was on my list, actually. That was on my list. Oh, uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, because, yeah, Risky Phone is uh, it's a kind of a game within a game where you have to... There's a very basic, like, matching colors to various buttons game that you're playing, but your character is also moving through space. So trying to, like, get to a train, you have to look around and take your attention off the colors game to make sure you don't get hit by traffic. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, like texting in real life the game essentially. Like that's what it kind of felt like is like you have to like you navigate your character, you navigate your your head movement, and then your like it gives you a um, like it's like green, but it, the the font is in a different color. And then there's three different colors you basically like press on. You have to you have to go for the one that. Um, like if it's green, you, you press the green one. You don't press yellow if it's in that yellow font. And it, uh, I played it. I watched people get so much further than me. And then I was playing it, and I was like, I can make it across the street while these, because uh, it, it's uh, the signal is about to turn. Um, and then I was going, and I got hit by a car and died um, like immediately. And I was like, I am not good at this. Like this is why I would get hit in real life if I ever on my phone. I mean, it's dangerous, and it is kind of a commentary. And it's, it's funny, though, because the game was developed by a, a Japanese person. Oh, but, wow. And I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. And, and like, it, you know, I'm sure they use mobile phones in Japan, too. So they have probably that same culture going on of people distracted on their phones all the time, oh, yeah. risking their lives. So interesting to see that completely seamlessly fit into a, a treaty on how we operate. Yeah, and like you're like you're like navigating through like crowds of people and like cars and everything, and like, like trying to get from like one place to the other. I guess I didn't see like it. I didn't seem like a a demo. It felt like a fully fleshed thing that I just didn't get past the first level at all. I uh, you know I think there is only the one level because like you get to the train and then it gives you a score. Okay. Yeah, it almost felt like super hot, but te for texting. Uh, well, the graphics style was pretty similar with like yeah. just kind of like the black outlines on these otherwise white bodies to just make a very like stark but basic looking uh, graphical style. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, I, I think that's the sort of thing too, like a lot of these, a lot of games that really interest me is just like its visual style is like, that's almost half of it sometimes. Like, I don't, 
prefer games that look realistic. I'd rather it have an artistic like kind of flair to it that makes it like intriguing to play. And that, that game definitely had that, I think. Uh, was there any other game or maybe games that had a graphical flair that caught your eye? Yeah, uh, Tunic, um, which is like a like old school Zelda top down like RPG. You play as like a fox. Um, I I watched. I, I went. I just walked past it. Um, and for Team Fox, I was surprised it wasn't on the list. But it, uh, I was was watching people play it for a while until I got to play it, and um, it is like insanely beautiful. It looks incredible. I couldn't believe how um, how good it looked actually, and like because it's like it's like a three D. I, I don't know what they built it in, but like it has. It's like it has like full color and shading and like just like watching the like the world it's it's such an intriguing world in it and then it's it's got that like simple dynamic of like a of a zelda like super super nintendo sort of thing um i don't know if there's a name for that uh but, but i think we're seeing a lot of that now between yeah. like this between that game it'll do and hyperlight drifter there are a lot of people who are just like we're just gonna make link to the past again <laughs> yeah i still am trying to beat hyperlight drifter um, but yeah, it looked, I mean, it looked hard. Like I watched somebody get to a boss and they, I don't think they realized they had gotten to a boss and then this giant stone came out with like a sword and like, it's like it kind of split up and became this like towering, you know, uh, monolith like in front of them and it got him in like two hits. Uh, and it looked tough, you know, like it looks like. I was like, that is a game I want to buy. Um, I think a lot of this stuff here is, like, on, most of it's online or it's somewhere or another, it seems. But um, I don't think that one is. I've kind of seen pictures of it, but I don't think pictures did it justice, you know, sort of thing. It looks fantastic, like, moving. Like, it looks amazing in gameplay. It does, yeah, yeah. Having seen it in person, I, I was much more impressed than, like, the videos I saw online. And it's true, yeah, a lot of these games, like, if you go to bitbashchicago.com, the link is just to, like, the H.I.O. page. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, it's hard to... I had no idea really what to expect today. Um, and, I mean, I'm not disappointed at all. Like, there's so many good things here, so... Uh, and there's a lot... There's a lot more than ever that I've seen in the last few years. It's a bigger space. I didn't see it in Fulton Market last year. Uh, and it's a, such a much bigger space, and I they do, like, the little ones and the... Uh, uh, that are, like, maybe... 10 games or so this is like a lot of 40 I, I said 40 or 50 earlier i'm pretty sure that's that accurate i don't know like and there's a lot of it's just they're fun i don't know i kind of miss that concept i think the one thing uh like a few years ago we went and there were a lot more like four player competitive games there are a few here um but anyway, less. Like they've had Sortie here before. They've had a game called Genital Jousting, which <laughs> was insane. Uh, I, bu- I ended up buying that one because it was a lot of fun. I will buy Sortie once it's available. I don't know if it is. Um, and they're always they're always a lot of fun to play with friends. Yeah, there was definitely a wave of like those four-player couch co-op games, yeah. and it seems to have crested and maybe dissipated. Yeah, I think even like Crawl a few years ago too. That was a really good one. That's oh, that was here. Yeah, yeah Crawl was uh, two. Maybe it was the first one. I can't remember. Um, but it was uh, it was on like a smaller TV, kind of tucked away somewhere, and I ended up playing it. And I was like, I 
am in love with this game. It, it's out now, and it's fantastic. So it's like such a great couch co-op, couch counter co-op, I guess. Like, as you're going against each other, like for one person to win. Um, but like those are all any game that basically ties me down to like this is what it was like to own a Nintendo 64. Um, <laughs> is like you've won my heart. Well, I don't know if this would be on the Nintendo 64 exactly, but one thing that uh, really caught my eye was the 1000 button project. Oh yeah. And that was a it's a, it's a fighting game, but no, not like any fighting game you've probably ever seen because uh, it is this is a 1000 button project, but you're given a 100 button uh joy pad to play with yeah it's a table like a little and i i was i actually didn't get to play it i, I watched my friend play it and it looked like i they were like slamming each other's buttons it's one giant thing of 100 buttons and uh like 3d model like 3d 2d like kind of street fighter 4 street fighter 5 kind of models um but this is just blank models um and I just watched people beat the shit out of each other, and it was uh, fantastic. Like, it was, like, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I, went, I, should, I should go back inside after this and play it, because I, I'll never be able to play it again, possibly after this. Probably not, no. It, it seems like that's not a thing that's going to be uh, available to many other places. Yeah. I, well, come on, guys. Get, get the, uh, I, maybe a keyboard? No, I want to be as fun. Um, That'd be a good start, though. I mean, yeah. that would get you halfway there, I think. Hey, if you give it, give it to the people, you know? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> make a Kickstarter for a 100-button controller. Someone might buy it. Not me, though. Would you? No. Probably not. Uh, well, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone probably will. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it was, I mean, it was really fun. I love fighting games. and They've had a lot of really good ones here across the years. I mean, you just bought some figures for, uh, for one of the ones that was here. Yeah, yeah, in conjunction with the uh, the Chicago Loot Crate, they're uh, offering as part of a donation basically uh, five dive kick figures for uh, ten bucks. So that was pretty good deal, I thought. Yeah, I thought you'd spent like a hundred dollars when you walked up with that bag, and <laughs> you're like, "This costs ten dollars," and I'm like, "Do I need that too?" Then uh, probably not. I have too much stuff in my house. Um, but yeah, they're really cool. Any other games that? Uh... Oh yeah, um, shut up and slam jam karate basketball. Uh, yeah, that was really fun. The, the devs were here, um, which was nice to be able to talk oh, to they them. Are here. I think that was them, right? In the shirts. Oh, uh, probably. They yeah. seemed to know about it a lot, and they had like they had a big presence. It seemed uh, that game was a lot of fun. It reminded me of like the old Midway basketball game. I forget what that one's called. NBA Jam. No, not NBA Jam. They had like an older one. Maybe it wasn't Midway. Arch Rivals. Arch Rivals. Yeah, it reminded me of Arch Rivals. It was like it was a lot of like kicking and like weapons and like throwing stuff at each other. Um, I played it with like three of my friends who don't ever play competitive especially sports games with me and they all had a blast like two of them actually signed up for a tournament afterwards that's how much fun they were having with it and the art's really good on it um i mean it feels great i don't know if they do any other uh games but like immediately i was interested in like in what they were making i liked it a lot i mean they have a page on itch.io so i don't know if they got other uh products out there but they are definitely working on stuff and on the regular, I think. Oh yeah, I mean they had a whole banner, so uh, which was nuts. I loved it. Um, I would 100% buy that for my Steam box to play my TV and my friends over. It was like that sort of thing. Uh, and I know I said earlier there weren't a lot of competitive games, but that definitely was there, and it was a lot of fun to play. Awesome. Uh, and I guess my the last thing 
or rather four last things I like to talk about for games is the game Four Last Things, which yeah. you, you and I both saw, and I think we were both pretty impressed by it. I loved it. Um, I, I think like the first thing I ever cut my teeth on in PC gaming, besides like Scorched Earth and stuff, uh, was Monkey Island, the LucasArts adventure games. At my friend's house, he, his dad had a CD-ROM on his computer, the highest of the tech in 1992. Um, and... I love all those games, and I've kept up. I've kept track with them. I've bought as much of it as like you know they could. They've been remastered across the years. They've been re-released, um, and they've made new ones. And I bought them all. But this game looks like, and they even had a Monkey Island reference in this. Um, they reference how they make jokes referencing Monkey Island in the game, but it was like a medieval art, like stylistic like visually game yeah i mean just like with tunic this game looks amazing the, yeah like the art looks like a renaissance painting and then the movement is deliberately a little framey to give that look of like stop motion animation it reminded me uh, you know the, the uh, designer or developer is uh british so i'm not necessarily sure it's a deliberate reference but it felt very monty pythony to the way they did their animation in the show when they did that Oh, absolutely. Like the god in, uh, in, in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 100% that is a full, fully fleshed out like adventure game. It looked very done. I saw a couple things that like, looked like they were still painting some of it in. Um, but And I don't know. There was an audio there, but it's kind of hard, hard to have audio in a room of like 30 things. Um, but I hope there is because that'd be great. I think it'd be a really good fit for it. Um, and I was like... <laughs> I was really compelled to play it a lot, but I felt like it would suck so much time away. And I was like a thing where I was like, I need to remember what this game is so I can buy it and beat it later. Because it looked amazing. Look, I, I didn't know it existed. And it looks like I it like hits every little heartstring in my, you know, of like of gaming for me. Well, I had a similar reaction to a game I saw. Uh, I think you played it. I, I, my impression was it might take a while and I kind of want to save it until I get a chance to, like, really look at it. And that game was Overland. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I played it and died kind of quickly because I kind of, like, uh, I picked up in a level that somebody kind of left up in the beginning of, so it started bringing enemies in there, and I was kind of learning the mechanics right away. But it was a lot like uh, the... It was very much like the XCOM games, uh, but it's, like, a survival, like, apocalyptic survival sort of thing. And um, the art was, like... 3D and really simple, but like very stylistic and awesome looking. Um, and like it just it it was it looked like something that was like I need to like sit down and play this for like a long time. And I never heard of it either. Like it looked like it was like really far along in its development, you know. But it I somehow it missed my radar, sort of thing. Yeah, I had actually heard a little bit about it from the Giant Beast cast. And uh, it's not on Steam yet, but it is on HIO again. And, uh, yeah, like, it looks pretty close to done. I, I think it's in alpha still right now, though. But they're, you know, doing the, we will charge you to, you know, test our game, basically. It was very compelling for a game that felt like it was an alpha, for sure. Like, it, it had a, it was a little slower. Um, like, some of the animation was slow, but it was off a of projector and stuff, so it's kind of hard to tell. But, uh, I mean, it looked, it was compelling. I think that's a great, like, way to describe it. Like, I... It was sucking me in like right away. I love the all the XCOM games, um, and I'm trying to think of like some of the other uh, like RPG 
Ace is like an RPG, right? Um, like the Final Fantasy, like uh, I used to play like Final Fantasy Tactics and stuff. And now they have games like like XCOM and I mean like Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're great. They're a lot of fun to play. It's a lot of strategy. Um, but like this, you're not a team of like a lot of people. You're I was a team of two, and I found a dog, and um, and like we're fighting these things off with like you know weapons we find in the street essentially while we're like trying to get like gas for the, our automobile, you know. It seems like it has the great quality that those kind of games have, yeah. where you imbue this per- personality into your characters, yeah. even knowing that they are at incredible risk and they could die and you'll never be able to get them back. Yeah. And, and like I, I think it manages to capture that same quality, where you don't want bad things to happen to the, to the uh, people you're controlling. Yeah, I, it's like one of those things where it's like, I'm going to hit escape and restart the level now because I don't want to lose Carl. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't want to lose Carl. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I almost wish that uh, those games had a save fu- a function where it was like your it saves immediately over what the last save file um, because I am a I cheat so often on that sort of stuff. I don't want to lose certain people. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of it's a lot of fun. Um, and again, it's like one of those things where the art is uh, so like vivid in it and stuff that like it's like you just want to play it like you look at it and you're like what is this i don't care i want to play it right now so it's awesome well i'm so glad that you were here and we got to chat about the games we saw today the sun is setting and my uh feet are killing me so i'm gonna go take a rest uh chris if there are places people can find you either electronically or in person where would you want to be found I can be found on Twitter at Chip Snackerson. Um, that's and uh, if you want, if you're in Chicago ever, if you want to see some improv, I do uh, a show at LOL um, or Laugh Out Loud uh, Chicago Theater on Lincoln every Tuesday at 8:30 p.m. Well, awesome! Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, Bill. I really appreciate it. back here at Bit Bash 2017. I'm taking a look at the game right now, Victor the Loser, where the AI may not have your best interests at heart. And so uh, I'm going to be talking to the design team. Uh, they came here from New York City to uh, sh- show off the game, and they've been taking it around to different locales. Uh, so I'll be going clockwise around me to introduce people. Hi, my name's Shao. Hello, I'm Max. Hi, I'm Yume. Hey, I'm Chuck. Uh, so at its core, I'm kind of just looking to know what the inspiration for this game is. Uh, I guess, who had the orig- original brainstorm for the game, or was it kind of a collaborative effort? Um, it was actually for a school project, and then we did a this brainstorming old theater. So we started with a character that is really not, uh, don't handle losing well. That's how we get to that point. What's the next stage that we have? The way we thought that was started out by thinking about who you would play a game with. So um, came up with this idea of a person who really wants to play a game with you but really can't handle losing. Um, probably everybody knows someone like that. <laughs> like me. Um, 
But yeah, so then we started thinking about what would be some physical ways for this character to interrupt you or to mislead you. And that, that, that was how we came up with the various, phys like the physical, um, the idea of like pressing the machine, pressing a button in, for you. Yeah. We wanted to redefine how you win the game. So by winning the game, you cannot answer every question right. Instead, you have to lose a little bit, but win a little bit to keep um, the machine interesting enough to keep going with you, to keep playing with you. So it's not about how you feel when you're playing a game, it's about how the AI or how the machine feels. That's very interesting because you see in a lot of games right now, uh, especially I would say with like the Blizzard offerings where they kind of try and match make you so you win 50% of the time, like that's kind of their design goal. And it would seem like here you're trying to uh, make that happen also with the AI. Uh, was that an attempt at like trying to generate empathy for the AI here to make you have an, a personal attachment to the AI itself in this game? So none of us are actually big gamers, so we don't really play a lot of games. So when we started like brainstorming how we're gonna design a game, we started to look at, like think of it as a real person that you're playing against. So we're all pretty like, we like like physical games, like the interactions that you actually get when you like talk to real people. So we kind of want to design Victor to resemble like a real human being. And like a little kid, like when the kids like you have to keep them interested in order, like let them win a little bit in order to keep them interested to play with you. You know, stuff like that. I, I would totally say we didn't really think about empathy. I think the goal was to annoy people enough, but to create that little like a fun aspect of like being annoying, like you want to win. I create a new experience, I guess. We, do we talk about empathy to AI? I think we have different points. I, I think what, like, part of my goal for this game was not to really relate to uh, or anthropomorphic uh, kind of AI to uh, mimic a human, but um, that's why it doesn't have that much like emotions or, or like representations. Um, of human uh, characteristics, it's that's why we choose the like the old school aesthetics, at uh, the monitor and the color just red and green, uh, HTML, HTML kind of uh, style. You're not specifically going to school to design games, then? Did, would that be fair to say? Or yeah, so we are all we all came from Parsons School of Design, and we're in this program called Design Technology. Um, I think most of us make uh, like interactive installations or like social experiment that involves uh, some technical like interactions and, and sometimes games. Game like we didn't like choose to make games because we just make games, but we think like for example for this project, uh, this kind of game it, I, we, we think is the best way to represent the idea that that we want to exp uh, express to the audience. Okay, excellent. Uh and if, what would be the best possible reaction that you could get from someone who is playing this game? Do you have an idea in mind of that? I think it depends on the person. Like, I think right? Surprising yeah. Definitely. I started with surprising and maybe some urge to win and... Not knowing how. Not knowing how, but yeah. not knowing how. Uh -huh. I was like, confused and surprised. Uh, so this has been at other uh, events like uh, you said GDC. Uh, would there ever be a like downloadable version of this anywhere if someone wanted to try and uh, make one of their own kits for this? 
what do you guys think? We haven't thought about that, but we were thinking, well, our initial idea was probably not, just because of how big, like the game itself is not super complicated, but it's actually the interaction, the physical interaction from the uh, controller that provides this type of uh, like the experience. Because if you take it away, then you're just pressing buttons, or maybe like the computer is pressing a vir virtually, you wouldn't have the same effect. I think. But we're definitely interested in showing this game in uh, different places, and we're going to show it at Maker Fair in New York in September. September. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for your time. I'll let you go. Uh, and we'll be back with the next segment here on So Many Bits. And we are back here. We're taking a look at Light Pong with the designer, uh, developer, Chris Hall. Uh, Chris is a Chicago native. So I was very happy to talk to him as a fellow Chicagoan. And uh, I guess just uh, what is your inspiration behind the, this game? Uh, so I actually like to uh, create technology that really extends our real world experience rather than creates an entire other experience taking us away from it. Uh, so Lightpong is really another example of that. And it's really meant to engage you in the real world. Really, you're playing with another person. You're face to face. You're grabbing an object. There's no screen. There's no score counters. It's really, it's just you and other human beings playing in a space. Uh, yeah, we should note here that this is not played on a console in a traditional sense. It's a, it's a tube with a small computer in it and buttons on each end of the tube to paddle the ball, which is a light, back and forth between you. Uh, that's correct. And actually. Um, a big inspiration of mine was uh, Line Wobbler, which I believe was at one of the Bit Bashes a few years ago. Uh, so he created a dungeon crawler on an LED strip, and that really uh, showed me the power of conveying information through light. And so, like when you really remove the the screen and you remove these edges that we're so used to, you can create ex like digital experiences that really weave itself into the real world. That's awesome. I totally remember the game you're talking about. And I'm hoping someone else out there, there was some game based on like a credit card uh, receipt machine. I'm hoping that there's someone else out there working on that as well. Do you have other projects that you're currently working on that uh, extend beyond Lightpong? Uh, so I, I do a lot of art uh, under the name Patchy. Uh, my sort of company is Patchy Projects. And so we do all kinds of interactive tech uh, really with that goal of showing that technology can be magic if we use it in that way that we can be wizards or we can be robots. It's really how are we, uh, how are we creating technology and how are we adapting to what we're creating. Uh, and so we do all kinds of art installations, everything from uh, responsive playground equipment to uh, we have some projections coming up for uh, Blink Festival in Cincinnati. Uh, we have a currently on display at Chicago History Museum. We have an interactive uh, design your own dress uh, on exhibit there for a few more weeks, and then we are doing a new one for the Chicago, or sorry, the Children's Museum. Which would you say comes first? Do you think of a means for delivering a game and then design a game around it, or do you make the game in your head first and then find the means to bring that game to life? Uh, so, I guess <laughs> I, I really, I, I guess I really try to push this idea of magic, and uh, it doesn't really start with 
the intention of creating a game. I didn't set out to create uh, a video game when I made this. I was making a seesaw that had tilt reactive lights on it. And the prototype was clunky and thought it would be fun to use buttons. And all of a sudden, oh, this is a video game. Um, yeah, so I usually, I usually don't set out with the aim of, a, of an end result necessarily. Uh, I, I find inspiration from a lot of things in my world, a lot of the objects and things that I play with. I'm a natural fidgeter, so I will just like pick up things and mess with them. And it's always just this goal of like, huh, what else could I make this do? What else could I make this do? And then I, you know, I throw something together and I see what's actually fun about it and what is kind of stupid about it. And I just keep pushing that fun and I just really keep trying to, to see where the magic lies in it. And the whole, the whole time really trying to maintain the object first and not the digital experience. I want the digital end of all of this to be invisible. And so that's why it usually starts from the object or the, I don't know, the real world piece uh, first. That's excellent. And if people want to follow your progress or support you in any way, uh, where might they be able to do that? Uh, so you can go to light-pong.com. So light-pong.com. Uh, and you can register for our mailing list and we'll let you know when our Kickstarter is launched and you can get your own uh, light pong. Otherwise, uh, on social media, you can follow Apache Projects and uh, we're around Chicago. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. I'm now going to be talking to Amanda Hutchins about the 1,000 button project. I was very excited about seeing this on the website for Bitbash and seeing it in person now. Uh, I am not disappointed in the least. And I was just kind of curious to start with, what was your inspiration? Why, why 1,000? What was that? Um, so the 1,000 actually comes from a really um, early conversation I had with someone about uh, how many USB devices you could plug into a single computer. It didn't end up using USB, so it's kind of irrelevant. And also, so it just became a thousand sounds like a really, really good number, because it does. And that was the main impetus behind why I wanted to have a thousand. It currently only has 100 buttons, but it's kind of a prototype for that whole thing. So the 100 buttons we see right now, is that a, a step along in the process? Was there like a 50 button controller before that or a 20 button before that? Um, so there is actually a 16-button controller, uh, and then this 100-button, and then I'm probably going to work on a prototype for a 256, because it's another nice round square number, and then after that, hopefully the 1,000. It really depends on how many buttons I can acquire. And there's something with those buttons that's so satisfying, I think, about smacking them and just kind of mashing on them that maybe is a little less present today now that there are maybe like arcades like there used to be. Uh, was that ever a part of your childhood, any nostalgia for like old school arcades? Well, I mean, that, that is the fundamental concept behind the game, is that it's that feeling of when you're like six and you're playing with like your cousin 
and he's crushing you with like Mortal Kombat or some game that you've never played before and you're just going there and you really want to try and win and you have no shot because he knows all the moves and you just button mash until you accidentally destroy him. That was kind of the concept behind it. And so it's definitely built off that nostalgia factor. It's also just deeply, deeply satisfying. It's kind of like a bubble wrap. That kind of like, that kind of feeling. It's not really like other controls, I don't think. Like, and I've, and I've made alternative control things before. So it, but it's its own thing. And people recognize it and they like the feel and it's very, very satisfying. What would you say is your favorite button mashing moment in a game, if you have one, or one that really comes to mind? The one I use a lot for a description is, because it's the one that's the most familiar to my childhood, is I used to play a lot of Soul Calibur with, with on my dad's PS2, I think, I think it was the PS2. It's been a while. Uh, and he, uh, he was really good, and I would have friends over, and they were really good, but I would play Kill It, because he has this big bow staff, and you can just poke people in the face over and over and over again and you almost always win if you if you get it at the right rhythm and so that's my standard button mashing like skill level i also accidentally won a king of fighters tournament by button mashing like three years ago so I, yeah I'm, I'm a button masher i'm a terrible terrible 2d fighter player that you sound pretty esports to me to be honest oh, very <laughs> Now, this is not the only exclusive to BitBash. You demo this in other locations. Uh, where are some of the other places that uh, have had this uh, set up? Uh, so currently, it's actually on loan from the art gallery. It's actually in, uh, which is there's an art gallery out of uh, Lexington, Kentucky, which is where I'm from, called the Living Arts and Science Center. It's kind of an art gallery plus science center. It's targeted kind of at uh, teenagers and kids. And so it's actually been there for about a month. And it's going to go back there, and it'll be up until August the 18th. And then after that, it kind of just depends. I might not take it anywhere else as its current form, just because I want to build it out. But I've applied to a couple other shows throughout the country, so we'll see. That's kind of the only place a thing like this can go, is other shows. So like, All Control GDC, Indiecade, Fantastic Arcade. Like, this kind of device really only goes to places like that or it's gonna sit in my house and be my coffee table. Now, if people wanna support you, uh, either just emotionally or uh, financially, uh, is there a place they can find you online where maybe they can help add an extra button? So there is actually a website I built out for partially for this event, which is buttonsr.cool. Uh, and it has information on where you can follow the project. I update it with blogs on the process of building the board itself. And it also has a link to, well, I don't know if I said already, it has a link to a donation page. And it also has like, just like Twitter stuff and videos and so you can see it in action. And when I finish the video from this event, I'll put it up there. Excellent, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. One quick correction, it is the Chicago Loot Crate charity. It is not the Chicago Loot Drop. Chicago Loot Crate, if you're looking to support a, lo a local organization. As for us, we can be reached by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Subscribe to us on iTunes, please rate and review, or download from SoundCloud, from Spreaker, from YouTube. Uh, 
Uh, follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Watch us. We're uh, twitch.tv slash So Many Bits. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts, support independent art, the spirit of the <laughs>